I think it takes time and testing and, and trying new things. You know, I thought I wanted to, to be a college coach. That didn't work. I thought I wanted to do overall player development. That didn't work. I thought I wanted to, um, you know, just be a shooting coach. And in a way, I'm still doing that. But, you know, it wasn't quite it, right? It- you are listening to the Bridging Impact Podcast, transforming leaders on and off the court with host Coach Furtado. Without further ado, let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast. I am excited today because we have shooting coach and mentor, founder of Shooter Shoot, always on the road, hard to nail down, but we got the time today, so I'm really excited to have Brianna Garza join us on the show today, so welcome, Brianna. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's uh, Just so you know, it's Brianna, like banana, um, but that's a common, common misconception. Um, yeah, it's been great. Today is day 532 on the road for me, just uh, building the business, uh, following the path. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm glad we finally got to get connected. Absolutely. Well, 532 on the path. And Brianna, my apologies. Um, let's dive right in. Um, you know, the first question we always ask before I get to, you know, kind of the journey and what it's been like on the road, um, you know, like, how has basketball made an impact on your life and what made you want to go on this journey? Yeah, I think basketball I'm finding is just a universe ever expanding. Um, who knew that this was a niche to begin with and that this niche would lead to all of the other niches inside of it uh, in shooting. And I think obviously as a player, um, basketball was the first opportunity anybody ever gave me or the first opportunity I got to lead anything. And I've always really felt that that was a personal legend of mine is to, to lead something bigger than me. And so basketball gave me my first shot at doing that. Um, and getting into coaching after playing, I tried the college coaching thing, didn't, you know, wasn't enough joy in the gym for me, to be honest with you, and uh, pivoted into development. And now we're here. Pivoted into development. So you're talking about, I think, leading yourself and kind of finding yourself. Um, When it comes to that, you know, when did you recognize and was it when you were a player or as a coach that, you know, basketball is giving you this opportunity to kind of lead? You know, it's funny. In my adult life, um, nobody ever really let me lead anything. Uh, in basketball, they did. When I was young, high school, college, I was always the point guard, and and I, I had that opportunity there, and I loved that. But in like once I became an adult, nobody. And I guess I was young, so at the beginning of all of these things, so I guess that sort of makes sense. But even within my roles, like as a bar, like I bartended at Chili's for seven years, and they never let me train any other bartenders. Right. <laughs> so like little things like that, it was like, man, I just wish, uh, I just wish somebody would have given me the chance. And so as it goes, shooter shoot came along and it was sort of a way where it's like, if somebody doesn't give you the platform, you, you give it to yourself. Right. And so how has that, you know, kind of experience for yourself kind of influenced your programming and how you teach and lead and coach 
And, you know, it's more than shooting, right? We both know that. It's about like leading oneself and helping people figure out who they are. So how has that experience helped influence your coaching? Yeah, I think everybody just wants to be believed in. I think shooting is freaking hard. And when you can teach somebody to go through something hard and go through slumps and keep it moving and let it be hard and just trust that you're going to come out on the other side, despite not having evidence in front of you, which is essentially what all of us who experience success have had to do. We've had to scrape quarters off of our, you know, floorboards in order to get laundry done. Um, And, you know, yeah, teaching that through the medium of shooting, the audacity of self-belief. I don't have any evidence in front of me yet, but I have the audacity to believe I'm going to still get this thing done. How do we develop that? How do we how do we tap into that audacity of self-belief? Because that is the challenge, right? In, in getting some certain athletes, right? To develop and, you know, almost develop a mindset of I am a shooter, right? Um, before, you know, maybe even mastering some of the technicalities of it. Yeah, it's funny. I was just on uh, I was just on an interview with another uh, another podcast, the play by play podcast, but uh, he asked me the same question. And yeah, I think I'll give the same answer. Have you ever heard of the Pygmalion effect? Pygmalion effect. So my background is in is in psychology. And it was one of the, the studies that I always really remembered was, you know, back in the 80s, psychologists could just do whatever. You know, there wasn't any parameters on like, I wonder what this experiment will do to somebody long term. Like, do you remember the Stanford prison experiment? Yeah, like they were just like, hey, let's try it and just see what see what happens. And so this was one of those experiments where uh, they went to an elementary school, these researchers, and they asked the administrators, hey, can we give all of your elementary students this test? And I think we're going to find and identify the bloomers is what they labeled them at your school. And we just want to see if we're right. And so the administrators were like, yeah, you know, do whatever. And so they had all of these students take this test. They got the test back. They threw them in the trash can and they just arbitrarily randomly picked seven students in each class to label them as bloomers. And they told the teachers of them, they said, okay, these are your seven bloomers, uh, just so you know. And they didn't really tell them anything else. At the end of the school year, every single one of those students that they labeled as bloomers we're doing better across the board, math, science, reading, social skills, whatever. And all of this came to, came back to the teachers simply believing that these students were labeled as bloomers, that these were the students that were supposed to, by this arbitrary test, uh, be successful. And so that Pygmalion effect, like that one study, among all, all of the, you know, the other things you learn in psychology about you know, instilling belief in how important that is and all of that. Like that one study sticks out to me is like, okay, this is science talking about a cheat code. Like you want a kid to be successful, then you just simply have to make them believe that you believe that. And in turn, you also have to believe that to be true. I was at a conference last weekend and um, a coach asked during during a presentation, hey, what if we don't have any green light shooters? Um, because this, this one position was like, this is for your green light shooter. This is what you do. And the coach said, well, what if I don't have any green light shooters? 
I'm like, well, if you don't believe you have any green light shooters, then you know, you never will. <laughs> um, then you start there. Right? Like you have to believe that they can become a green light shooter or you won't have any. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of the foundation of all the way that, that I train is I prioritize, uh, I prioritize that because everybody wants somebody in their corner and that's how you build audacity into somebody is they have to believe somebody that they look up to and that they respect, um, has the audacity to believe in them too. I think that's where it starts. That is a great place to begin. And I have heard the saying of, and I'm sure you have as well, like leadership is the transfer of belief. And what is that like belief in that, like, you know, kind of relaying, you know, into their potential? What does it sound like? What does it look like? You know, I guess, what is, what is the feeling of it? Yeah, I think, I think hype people get paid. I think not being too cool to hype up your kid whenever they, they reach this thing uh, that they've really been trying to go after and like make a scene out of it. Something we do uh, intentionally is we'll see the behavior that we like or we see somebody make a mistake and then redo it again and we'll stop the whole gym and we'll be like, yo, Johnny, I saw you mess that thing up two or three times and you still kept going and you bring attention to it because that's really what it is. It's less on, can you do this sick move and step back, sidestep, whatever, but can you not do it over and over and over again and still continue to try to do it? And so we even highlight those behaviors of like, did y'all see what little Johnny just did? He just kept going. And when he didn't have to, he could have let that thing defeat him. And so behaviors, they get celebrated, get repeated. And we hype people up constantly. And we, we give that feeling of being hyped by somebody that you look up to, uh, by somebody who looks like you or doesn't look like you or some, you're somebody that is your leader. Because many of us were not coached like that. Um, yeah. And so I think part of my own you know, audacity, if you will, I think I just got lucky. I think how some people have, you know, they're naturally inclined to uh, singing or they're naturally inclined to be athletic or they're naturally inclined to have like a math brain. I think just by dumb luck, I was naturally inclined to be motivated by doubt or by somebody thinking I can't do something or, you know, things that when things go wrong, I've never had, and I don't know where that came from, likely from my parents not letting me quit anything. Um, but I think adversity has, has never really been something that I've struggled with that, um, that has taken confidence away from me. And I wish I had a better answer for like, I really think I just got lucky um, in the way my brain was wired. And so I think it's, I, I find it to be my role to, to teach that, to teach the way that, that, my brain accidentally got wired to, to, to think um, because I think it is something that can be learned um, just like singing or, or, you know, being good at basketball can be learned. It just takes some people longer. Some people are naturally inclined to it. And uh, I was lucky to have the latter. And that makes a lot of sense too, because to be a great shooter, right? You have to have that resilience mindset because mm -hmm. you miss so many shots as a shooter. And so I'm just curious, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, certain athletes as I'm hearing you talk, like in, in passing on that belief. And when you're working with different athletes, like in, you know, 
different scenarios, how do you help them get through, you know, the quote unquote shooter slump? And I think shooting is honestly probably one of the most mental parts of the game of basketball. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say it's the most mental out of any sport, but just because of its nature of the ebb and flow and, um, you know, you, you may be shooting some shots in rhythm, like there could be different reasons and nuances. And it's just like so, so much going on up there. Like, how do you teach that resilience after, you know, a couple of bad shooting games? Yeah, I think I put a huge foundation on making sure to communicate that your worth is not equal to your wins and doubling down on that. That plus uh, something I used to say uh, to myself and, and used to say when I was coaching teams is law of averages. Like, all right, you've missed the last seven shots. Next one's bound to go in. Um, law of averages, right? And then always rewarding and saying like, I love that miss is something I'll say too. Like, I love that miss, right? Like, I want you to take that shot 10 times out of 10. I want you to shoot that. I know it sucks to miss and just leveling with them. Like, I know it sucks objectively to miss shots. Nobody wants to miss shots. It sucks to fail, but keep it moving. Like, keep keep shooting. You have the green light from me. You have the green light from your teammates. And Another reframe that I provide is a lot of those athletes that, you know, they miss the first few shots. um, The next thing they do is they hesitate, right? When they catch the ball. And we all used to do that. We've all been through that. Um, And what those athletes are thinking in those moments are usually unselfish. Like, I don't want to shoot this again because I've missed the last few. Let me give somebody else. an opportunity when really the reframe that that I stumbled upon um, was in that moment when you catch the ball despite having missed before um, when you catch the ball and you are open there's this split second you have where your post players know that you're open so you usually shoot it so they get to position themselves that the your crashers on the outside can come in and crash so if you decide than to not to shoot if you hesitate in that moment because of whatever's happened before like that is actually the selfish decision that you're making because you're making that entire moment about you and you're not wanting to fail and you're not having a willingness to just stare fear in the face and have a conversation with it rather than letting it dictate what you do and so that's another reframe that I make for my athletes, especially, you know, at these shooting camps that I run, um, is like, I get it. You don't want to miss. Cool. Nobody wants to miss. Can you continue to shoot anyway? Because otherwise you're just making this whole thing about you. That's an interesting reframe. You know, I think when it, you know, you're thinking about it, you're catching shoot. you're like, originally when you're thinking, you're like, I don't want to let my teammates down. Right. But that's like, it's your role to let it, let it fly, yeah. you know? And so it's your role in the office and that's the flow, right? You're talking about the different crashers. And so, you know, people are, are playing off of you and expect you to shoot. Oh, he's got, he or she has three or four feet of space. They're going to knock it down. Right. And so recognizing that that is, you know, in an, an important spot. And I think that's kind of an interesting way of, of looking at it. And I think that's kind of the art of coaching is helping players kind of like reframe yeah. and, and think of things in different ways. Right. Get out of their own way. Um, And then especially young athletes, like they want to be unselfish in most of them anyway, they want to 
be the the person that's the right person for the team. And so all of that's coming from a great place, right? From the same place. And it's, you know, when you kind of give them the freedom to understand like, oh, it's okay that I'm not making this shot, that this outcome isn't what we want, um, because at least we can predict the behavior. Um, and if I can be counted on to be the one that I'm going to do the thing that needs to be done, even when it's hard, um, even when it, it's hard emotionally, then that is better than me hesitating because I'm, I'm scared of the outcome uh, because it's not really about the outcome anyway. Right. No, hundred percent. And I think, you know, I think one of the things that I've seen in your content, and then I also have coached with PGC is NATO not attached to outcome. Mm. And what you're talking about of the importance of being like, yo, I love you, no, whether you make the shot or not, or whether we win the game or not. So people can feel safe, right? We, we play better when we feel safe and we feel like we belong. Like at the end of the day, that's what we like crave for on teams. So just making sure, can you talk about what the, the acronym NATO is and, and how you use it? Yeah, NATO is an interesting, an interesting one. Um, not attached to outcome is what it stands for. And I think it's best used to when you're giving space to experiment. Um, so we'll use NATO when we're having athletes experiment with range or experiment with a new set of footwork or whatever it is that like literally let go of the miss or the make. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried, can you move your body uh, in this way uh, and just try to just look for rim hits is what we're looking for. Uh, whereas, you know, we also have this, this have sometimes where outcomes do matter um, when you're charting your results, right? Because you need to measure things in order to know that you're getting better at them. Um, I think it's, it's an ebb and flow. Outcomes of games do matter. Wins and losses matter. But again, coming back to like, we don't equate your worth to your wins. Doesn't mean it doesn't suck to lose. <laughs> it does. But we always like can say we're going as hard as we can after this goal. Um, right in these drills, we're not attached to outcome. We're feeling something different. In this situation, we are. We're trying to put in as many shots as we can. In that case, the outcomes do matter. But overall, like your worthiness is not equal to whether this ball goes in or not. Um, it doesn't mean it doesn't suck when, when you miss. And so constantly like fighting that fight with yourself and with and for them, with and for them has been, yeah, my philosophy of teaching. And it's a, I don't think it's a, something that you ever just like suddenly have. It's, it's something we have to fight for all through adulthood. It, there's never a moment where suddenly it's like, oh, okay. I don't really care that I miss. Like we all, I do shooting workouts and I punt basketball still because it sucks to miss shots, but I never, I'm never a worse or a lesser human or player because I didn't have a good shooting day. Um, I can acknowledge that emotionally I'm reacting to this and I can also acknowledge that I'm still a bucket uh, because I've done the work. Um, and so that's the, that's the audacity piece is like when you don't have the evidence, can you still believe this thing about yourself? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I 
kind of shake or nodding because I have the same thing when I'm shooting by myself, right? If I don't hit, you know, X out of 10 or whichever I'm doing, right? I'm like disappointed in myself. So that never goes away, but still like recognizing that, you know, obviously I still value myself as a human and I like three out of 10, like I, I'm still worth it, you know, or, or right. you know, kind of having that shifting mindset. And you're talking about that, the importance of your philosophy of teaching. And I want to kind of shift to 532 days on the road. I mean, that's <laughs> just so far, right? Like, You've taken your philosophy of teaching on the road and I'm going to do my best because one of the things that I'm challenged with sometimes when I podcast is I ask a huge question that has like three or five questions in it. Um, so I'm going to boil it down to, you know, when going on the road and going on your, you know, this journey last, you know, you're almost at two, I guess you're probably what, a year and a half. I'm trying to do some math there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a like, year and yeah, a year and a half ish year and a half on the road like how has your teaching evolved in that year and a half yeah that's a really good question I think it's become more and more clear to me that it's not about me like I think even being able to stay on the road like this um, is because I I leveled with myself on that is when I, you know, when you start teaching, when you start doing anything, like it is about you, it has to be about you. Cause you, cause you have to study yourself and your craft and, and how you're presenting and, and all of that, like, that's very natural. And then at some point, once you reach a, I think a certain level of comfort with the material or with, I mean, who you are, where you are, where you are, all of that, um, yeah, I've evolved in that I've I've studied and practiced and gotten my reps like in teaching and in leading and and all of those things. And now that I've I've gotten to a place of comfort with all of that, I've very intentionally shifted into yeah, it just it ain't about me. Um it's about them and there's, you know, you mentioned safety earlier, like psychological safety, meeting them where they are. Um it's not about, you know, the content. It's not about the, you know, reputation. It's it's like, yeah, it just ain't about me is, is I think, how my teaching has evolved as I've gotten better at this craft. Um, it's easy to slip into, like, me, me, me. Like, look at all these kids that I, I taught. Like, look at all the, these, these, these success stories from me, which I think is they're important to know from a marketing perspective and to, like, combat, you know, imposter syndrome, which we all still have. I still, you know, have shooting workouts where I'm halfway through and I'm like, God, like maybe I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't be doing this at all before you get to your breakthrough. But yeah, um, it's evolved into a very much a place of service um, that I think foundationally, that's why we all start coaching anyway. Absolutely. So that talking about that place of service and, and being able to probably serve, you know, a I don't know however many athletes, but a lot of athletes, mm -hmm. right, um, on the road. Like, what would you say the commonalities are between all of the athletes you have worked with and what have been some differences, you know, with whether it be age and stage or um, whatever that may be? Yeah, commonalities. Do you mean, like, uh, in shooting, like, mechanically? Or do you mean, um, like, mindset or both or um... – Let's yeah. go both. Let's go with both. Okay. Um, <laughs> mechanically, um, 
age and stage obviously matters, but my non-elite shooters, I should say, that are, um, or really any shooter that's, um, even if they are elite, any shooter that's, you know, 15 years old or younger, uh, the three major things that I see are lifting, lifting to the chest and then pushing from there um, instead of lifting like through the face and extending from there. I think that's a release point situation is we talk about, a lot about the, the outcome or the end part of it. And we don't talk about how we you know, redistribute our energy through that movement that then gets us to the end product. So that's, that's one thing. Um, and girls specifically, um, it's this, it's, it's bringing the ball into your chest uh, rather than allowing the ball to redirect down and low, as if you would, uh, if you didn't have a basketball, you would swing your arms back and jump up from there. The same thing with a basketball, you allow your body to load before you then unload. Um, in in my boys, it's uh, they tend to swing the ball out in front of them, and that is usually a contributing factor from uh, an, an, a wrist inflexibility. That they, they our boys tend to have really inflexible wrists because they. You know, they lift heavier weights or they do pull-ups or whatever it is. And so then it's hard for them to get underneath the ball early. So they tend to swing the ball out in order to get underneath it. Um, those are some mechanical things. Third thing would be, uh, yeah, I mean, follow through, not going at your target. It's so simple, but it's uh, something that feels different, feels a little bit different for everybody. So those things and then also feeling, oh my gosh, elbow in has just like that teaching cue has vastly disturbed uh, the feeling of shooting. Um, the ability to, to move through in a comfortable way. Um, this is not to say we'd go elbow out by any means. But um, like, like we don't teach chicken wings, but allowing the body to tilt, you know, away from, not away from the basket, to tilt so our shooting side is towards our basket and then lifting with comfort uh, where we still lift in a straight line, our elbows move in a straight line, they come up together, they don't come up outside is, is really important. But when we teach elbow in over and over and over again, that causes such an abnormal movement biomechanically in our bodies that... Um, then it, our bodies want to compensate, and then we, we lean to the right. Um, that elbow in teaching point is one that I don't I don't give. I obviously we correct any chicken wing situations, but uh, yeah, I think those things have been the biggest problems to uh, help correct. Um, you know, overall the shooting smooth, uh, the follow through, and then the uh, like trying to get a, get a good feeling of shooting, an athletic feeling of shooting. Um, mindset. Yeah, everybody, everybody's so afraid to miss. Everybody's so afraid to miss. Um, consistency, right, is is the when I ask players, where do they want to get better at shooting? And they say, I want to be more consistent. And it's like, everybody wants to be more consistent. Like, that's, um, that's such a hard thing to say, oh, yeah, I can make you more consistent, because it's really a lot of averages. Can you continue to shoot confidently? catch and shoot and understand this is the right decision that I'm making um, despite the evidence in front of you. So um, that, that might speak to otherwise. So mindset wise, it's 
how do you teach them to still believe through the slumps and to keep shooting through the slumps or make something else happen for themselves? You know, go get a, go get a layup, go get a foul drawn, go shoot a couple free throws and see those go through. How do you keep working through that? And um, yeah, the, the hesitation thing, especially for our younger or non-elite athletes um, or non-elite shooters, the ones that are working their way up to becoming elite shooters. Uh, those are the, the common problems in mindset is just uh, continuing to shoot, even though they might not be there yet. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And it's really interesting how you kind of bring up certain points around, you know, talking about getting that wrist loaded. So when we're talking about loading the wrist for boys yeah. specifically, how do we make sure that they're getting their ball and hand under it without causing too much pain? Yeah, so a lot of the time they'll have their hand on the ball with a flat wrist, right? And so therefore the, the hand gets on top of the ball um, and then they have to bring it up and, and somehow get under at the top of, of the ball. And again, there's no absolutes in shooting. This is just from, you know, what we study is is how do we simplify this movement so our bodies are more likely to repeat it over and over again. And we found that if you teach them to load their their wrist early on the ball, um, so not get behind the basketball, um, but to have your hand on the ball. The way I explain it is I have them pretend like they're holding a cup of coffee um, down by their hip. And so I have them look down at their wrist. You should see wrinkles on the inside of your wrist, not just the inside of your thumb, not your whole wrist, but that kind of middle, uh, like from the middle of your wrist to the joint that's even with your thumb, you should see wrinkles in that section of your wrist. Cool. Do you see that? Great. Now add the basketball to it. That's what it feels like to load your wrist. Your your thumb is even with your belly button normally or somewhere around there. And so then when you come up, now you're underneath the basketball. And it's so crazy. That's what I teach at the very beginning of a lot of my sessions. And, you know, inevitably there's always like one or two kids that are right in the front and their eyes just get like super wide, like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been missing this whole time. Um, so yeah, that's what I mean by by like teaching that wrist flexibility is if we load early, then we don't have to worry about loading somewhere else in the shot. And then it just simplifies. Now I'm already loaded. All I have to do is come up and unload. Are there certain like wrist exercises or stretches that boys should be doing? Because I know sometimes my boys have pain when they shoot with their wrist locked. Yeah, I think you uh, you can be um, intentional about activating and stretching your wrist if you know your wrists are unflexible. A lot of my boys have played baseball or something, so that tends to contribute to some inflexibility. And then you just, if you know that's true about yourself, then, I mean, it's just moving your wrists around and activating them, um, stretching them, flexion and uh, extension, uh, wrist circles, those sorts of things are what we do for, for those athletes. And again, it won't be the same for every athlete, but you know, research would show the earlier we load, the more simple our shot can be. Our shot line can, can you know, not cover as much space, which in theory would tell us that when we have defense in front of us, when we you know, have to make a read, the simpler thing that our body remembers, um, the better, because the, that movement won't have so much variability inside of it. Gotcha. That makes a ton of sense. So, you know, speaking of women's basketball and teaching girls how to shoot, I'd love for you to tell the audience what you got going on <laughs> regarding the women's final four next year. Yeah. 
yeah the women's final four in cleveland um yeah we're uh about eight eight nine weeks ago i um just had 20 seconds of insane courage that i think had really been building up from uh, my own experiences at conferences as a being the token woman um, to speak at them. And, you know, over the summer, over this past summer, the one of the conferences I was asked to speak at, um, where they were great people, right? Very well-meaning. And I made the mistake of thinking that they wanted me to talk about shooting at a player development conference when um, they wanted me to talk about what it's like to be a woman in the space. And that's what it's like. <laughs> it is... Um, being asked to speak at a player development conference about, you know, women's empowerment and like, like really nobody at a conference at a basketball conference wants to talk about women's empowerment, like not even women. Like we want to, we want to talk about hoops. We want to talk about our craft. And uh, so that's the message I gave is like, if you guys want to empower my voice, then ask me about basketball. And uh, that's how we go about changing the game. And so from that birthed an idea that, um, in 20 seconds of insane courage, I decided to pull the trigger on and we're running a, the first ever completely female-led coaching conference at the Women's Final Four this year. Um, Nancy Lieberman is our headliner. Um, we have coaches from all over the spectrum that are serving basketball from biomechanics technology to sports psychology to culture uh, to applied movement uh, specialists to mental performance training, shooting, skill development, running your camps for your programs and what that can, how you could do better at that. Um, we're really hitting basketball from angles that I think people don't realize people are serving basketball in this way. Um, and we're, uh, yeah, we're building it. Um, it's my first time running anything like this. So I'm learning as I go and it's just feels much bigger than me. Um, and it's crazy that it hasn't been done before. And yeah, that's what's happening at the Final Four. That sounds like such a great experience. And can you talk about the importance of this event when it comes to growing the women's game? Yeah, I think I think it's, again, it's about these giving a platform to these women who are the best coaches I know of basketball. They really are some of the best coaches of basketball that I know, and they all just happen to be women. And so it's providing a platform for them, but even beyond them, the coaches of the next generation are the little girls that are in a gym right now building, right? That maybe are like me, they end up being five, six, and they can't move sideways. And so coaching is their way uh, to stay in basketball and this thing that's taught us so much. And for them to see like, oh, okay, like there is a platform, like there is a, a, a place where all of these incredible basketball minds that just so happen to be women um, can come together and showcase like this is what it looks like. Look at all of these incredible women who are doing this and you can too. Um, so it's yes, it's it's about the speakers that are and, and showcasing them and, and boosting them. I mean, we've got we've got speakers that are were, were handpicked by Kobe uh, to run, you know, the WNBA preseason program he was putting together uh, before, you know, six weeks before he passed. We've got people who, you know, NBA movement specialists have asked to run their business and like send their NBA guys 
Uh, we've got, you know, sports psychologists who have worked on NBA teams. We've, you know, obviously we have biomechanics experts who have worked with NBA, NHL, PGA tour uh, golfers. Like we, we have all of these people who've worked both in men's and women's sports and they're just all badasses <laughs> really. And like selfishly, I brought them all together so I could sit there and connect with them and learn from them. And like my mom is cooking us all dinner on like night zero, whenever they all come in, we're all getting an Airbnb and like having it, doing it like retreat style. Uh, so we can all just connect on this thing that brought us all together in the first place. So um, yeah, I hope that answers your question, but I'm uh, yeah. I, I like, again, it just feels big. It feels bigger than me and it feels like nobody yet has taken the risk on on putting something like this together. And so that's what I'm going to do. I love it. And I really admire how everything's kind of come full circle. Like you talked about with your teaching philosophy at the beginning and how this journey has kind of helped you understand that it's not about you. It's about bringing together different people. And, you know, as we talk about, you know, you being on the road, for over 500 days. And I'm just so curious, you know, cause I love connecting with people. It's like one of the reasons I love having a podcast. So I get to le learn and listen from people who are way smarter than me. Kind of like what you were talking about, you know, and you're meeting people from all different walks of life and having these different connections. What has that experience really been like? Yeah, I think inevitably when you find the thing that, you know, you're supposed to do, I think it takes time and testing and, and trying new things you know, I thought I wanted to, to be a college coach. That didn't work. I thought I wanted to do overall player development. That didn't work. I thought I wanted to, um, you know, just be a shooting coach. And in a way I'm still doing that, but you know, it wasn't quite it. Right. So it's just this constant journey of finding and trying new things. And through, I love that you use the, the, the phrase uh, like these walks of life, because I think you get to a place where the path, leads you and um when you're purpose driven any cool thing that happens just happens as a byproduct of letting your purpose uh put two feet and put put a, one foot in front of the other and so you know goals or or whatever i think are important to set but again just happen as a byproduct of the work and of enjoying exactly where your feet are that's amazing. And so as we wrap up this podcast conversation, what would your final piece of advice be for the parents and coaches that are listening to this episode? Um, always remember to remind your athletes how much fun you're having just watching them play. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast. We'd love it if you would like subscribe leave a comment and a review on whatever platform you're on it's the best way to help us grow we appreciate you for doing that we'll shout you out on social media i'd also love if you connected with me on social media let me know your thoughts and this is why i do it i want to share knowledge and wisdom from experienced leaders to people like yourself and myself so we can have this dialogue and move forward make an impact on the world so stay tuned stay subscribed Cheers.